everybody. This is Wingman, and you are listening to Guard Frequency. My portrait thrusters won't stop firing. I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like literally green. My last nav check put me on the range point four. This is Control, be radio. Keep calm and remain on the guard frequency. Greetings, Citizen Civs. You're tuned to the Guard Frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 46 and was recorded on November 8th and was made available for download November 11th at guardfrequency.com. I'm Jeff. I'm Lennon. I'm Tony. Well, what do we have this week, Tony? In this week's Squawk Box, net neutrality. You knew I wasn't going to let that go. In CIG News, we bring you everything that's happening around the UEE, including our weekly crowdfunding update, the latest letter from the chairman, 10 for the Writers, Episode 1, and the latest news about Eric Wingman Peterson and how you can get involved with his latest project. In this week's Nuggets for Nuggets, we talk all about Musashi Industrial and Starflight Concern, a.k.a. MISC, and finally, we tune into the feedback loop. Let you join in on the conversation. Since and since we are always on the lookout for talented individuals to come and join the crew here at Guard Frequency. So if you've got a creative itch that needs scratching, then we would love to hear from you. Just drop us an email with your experience and what you'd like to bring to the table to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Please remember that all positions here at the Priority One Network are voluntary. This is, after all, a labor of love, but we do look great on a CV or resume. We've added a new feature to our website, guardfrequency.com, a donate button. After nearly a year of clockwork releases, trips all over the world, almost literally, and the occasional detour into lunacy, we're finally confident enough to set that hat out on the sidewalk. We're going to get even more confident in the days ahead. Shh, it's a big secret. We're going to soft launch a Patreon campaign. Watch our Twitter feed for more news. Of course, we're happy to share our labor of love with you each week free of charge, but it's nice to get the occasional reminder that folks out there in the verse love listening to the show as much as we love making it. Thank you to everybody who makes a regular contribution, and uh, those of you that make the occasional contribution, well, thank you too. The more support we get, the better show we can make. That takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get to the show and see what's coming through the Squawk Box. Any of you boys need a carrier around here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. This is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. All right, here we go. I got to drag out the soapbox again. Lennon? Okay, good. Okay, is this thing on? Okay, here we go. You guys remember the time when I asked you to send a comment to the FCC about that whole net neutrality thing? Yeah, it was episode 23, as a matter of fact, and I want to play 30 seconds of audio from that show. Lennon, if you please. Using myself as an example, in addition to paying my cable bill to Cox Communications every month, I also pay Netflix every month to access a library of films and TV shows. This library is delivered to my house or phone via a web of wires and waves that Netflix and I have paid to connect us together. And to the owner of the wires and waves, that simply isn't good enough. Why should content providers be making a fortune off of a network they don't own? Well, my short answer is that they've already paid for access to the wires and waves, and so have I. Pretty devastating argument, if I do say so myself. So the Federal Communication Commission's response was simple. Ignore common sense, current law, and nearly 4 million comments demanding regulation of the Internet as a common carrier like telephones. Get this. 
The unofficial hush-hush word on the street is that the rules that will be made public November 20th and hit the street December 11th will essentially break the current two-way street of internet communication and replace it with two one-way streets. Here's the problem. The proposal isn't public yet, but it has been circulated among some parties, like the ISPs, as a trial balloon. So the details are fuzzy, but the idea is this. If you are requesting data, you are using an information service, and that will therefore be subject to the whims of the information provider, your ISP. If you are sending data that someone has requested, you are a communication service, and are therefore entitled to an equal opportunity to use the series of tubes. So it's like a, it's like a compromise, right? Wrong. The thing about a common carrier is that you gotta have a ticket to ride. So I subscribe to Cox Cable. I subscribe to Netflix. I just watched Hank Schrader read a very revealing inscription in a Walt Whitman's Leaves of Grass book while sitting on the john, and I have to know what happens next. So I double-click on the next episode and wait. Now, if the details of this leaked proposal are accurate, unless Netflix has paid Cox to carry its streaming video to me, I don't get Netflix. Now, once Netflix works out a deal with Cox, and it has to be the same deal that everybody else gets, because that's fair, and that's how Common Carriage works, then I can watch the rest of Season 5 of Breaking Bad. Ladies and gentlemen, this is chutzpah, cojones, gall, big clanking brass guts. This is exactly the behavior that started this whole consumer protest in the first place. This interconnection fee that Verizon is currently charging Netflix is exactly the behavior we as consumers want to prevent. Now, the former cable lobbyist turned FCC chairman is on the verge of enshrining that racket into federal regulation. And let's not forget, Verizon successfully sued the FCC twice for making things up as they went along, like this little scheme does. By doing everything he can to defy two federal court rulings and the will of the American people, and I'm not exaggerating on that one, the only thing Chairman Tom Wheeler has done has guaranteed years of litigation and millions of dollars picked from the pockets of consumers. So now what? Well, last Thursday, several cities saw emergency protests in response to this plan. I'm sure more action is forthcoming. Bookmark www.battleforthenet.com and help out when and how you can. Don't let up on this, guys. It's the future of the net that's at stake. Wow. I'm pretty appalled. When I first learned of this, I was so red, my boss actually wanted to send me home. He thought I was sick. <laughs> um, and then the whole election thing happened, and I go, oh, there goes the network. Here's the thing. It's not a Republican-Democrat thing. Tom Wheeler is Obama's guy. I know. He's a Democrat. I know, and, but a lot of Republicans are funded by big telecommunications companies. That, that well, there it is right there. Tom Wheeler used to be a huge lobbyist for the cable companies, and that's where it's really at. Right. It's, it's just the money in the cable industry is pouring into this one guy, this one issue. And, you know, he's not going to stick around at one way or the other. No. He's going to retire and go back to the cable industry. But, you know, with a pat on the back job, well done for ramming this through. There's nothing you can say, Tony, that I don't agree with you. Ugh. I mean, this affects every one of our listeners out there. It really does. If you don't think it's not, wait six months and see your charges go up or your subscription to uh, RSI because... Oh, gee, your ISP decided they didn't get, they're not getting enough kickback from the game. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, I use a service like Amazon Warehouse's uh, Warehouse Computing, whatever that is. Amazon's ISP will have to complete a deal with every, it's called the last mile provider. Every last mile provider, the people that actually connect households and small businesses to the Internet's backbone, 
those are the ones that are going to have the foot on the throat of every Netflix, Amazon warehouse service, MMO publisher. I mean, you can't reach the people that are paying the subscriptions without those last mile providers. And that's where the chokehold's going to be. It is just absolutely galling that the deal that made everybody so angry is about to be enshrined in regulation. It's the exact opposite of what the protest was about. This is what we're protesting. And they're like, hey, I've got a compromise. Let's just go ahead and make that thing the rule. A thing that you don't like? We'll just make that like the rule. Is that okay with everybody? How about that? How about we do that? No. Just in, in related news, did you guys hear about the internet protest that took place in Hungary recently? Yes, I did actually. There was uh, there was going to be an internet tax. Yes, there was. Uh, they were going to they were going to tax data, wasn't it? It was data they were going to tax. Wasn't yep, it? that's exactly what it was, and it's kind of yeah. like the, you know the flip side of this kind. Whereas with this one, the traffic is being metered depending on how your ISP feels on that particular day and who's worked out what deal. But with the internet tax in Hungary. It was going to be that the consumer would have to pay uh, the rough equivalent of 60 cents per gigabyte on top of whatever they pay. Yeah. Um, wow. And protests of tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of Hungarians suddenly made the parliament change their mind. But this, what I'm trying to point out here is, you know, this particular issue around the, the upstream and the downstream or the communication and information, whatever it is, might mm. be specific to the way that the Americans are dealing with the problem. But this isn't just an American problem. It will affect the whole world because as soon as one country does it, Every other country will see what they can get away with. They'll see where the boundary has been pushed to and they will follow it. So even if you're outside the US, like myself and quite a few of our listeners, yes. it is without a doubt something that you should be weighing in on with your local consumer body, you know, the equivalent of the FCC yes. for your country, Ofcom in the UK. Absolutely. You, and you've got to watch it like a hawk because yes. what this is, what is it, the, the economic concept of this is called rent extraction. And the way you do it is you first have to get a monopoly on this resource that you want to skim off of. So in America, it's run by the FCC, so that's the fulcrum there. you got to run your stuff through the Federal Communication Commissions because they hand out the licenses and the, and the regulatory rules that govern communications. In Hungary, maybe they don't have a similar structure. It's not the same. So, so it's just a tax thing. The rent extraction is at the level of the state. The government's going to tax it and extract the benefits from people using the service. So in every country, it's different, but in every country, country, they're going to try to sneak it in. <laughs> they're not yeah. going to make this public. So you, everyone, you got to watch like a hawk. Unfortunately, I don't think that most, I would say that 80% of the population do not understand what this actually means. I mean, people look on their smartphone or they, you know, browse the internet at home. They really don't and watch Netflix, but they really don't get the correlation between content providers and network providers uh, and what those two are going are going through. Jeff, you're absolutely right. But I mean, I managed to do it in about four minutes, I think. So it, it, it doesn't take a lot of education for someone to get up to speed on it. And it doesn't take a lot of training or indoctrination, whatever you want to call it, to be able to get someone who's just learned what the concept is and to pass it on. And I think that's the most important part is that if our listeners are aware of it and it becomes a dinner table conversation, and in that dinner table conversation, you can educate people relatively quickly as to what the problem is and to, and to why it's such a big deal. And I think that's really where the success of, of, of you know, the Hungarian example 
might come into play. It's real easy to tell somebody every gigabyte is going to cost you 60 cents. That's real. That's easy to get across. This one's a little more complicated, but I think it can be done. And I just want to say, whilst we're, whilst we're pushing this whole issue, you know, there is an excellent book written by uh, a guy called Tim Wu, who mm-hmm. um, most of you should should know. Mm. Um, he's, uh, <laughs> he's, he's quite well known in the, in the whole information industry. It's called The Master Switch, The Rise and Fall of Information Empires. And basically, he, he examines things from uh, the very beginning with um, Bell AT&T, how they got the monopoly, how it was all open, and then it closed. And then it was only changed by innovation, then it opened, and then it closed. And basically, he, he kind of predicted that this is where it was going to go. And it's incredibly fascinating book. And you can actually get it for free on Audible if you don't have an Audible subscription already. So I'll throw a couple of links to that in the show notes. Excellent. Well, have you read, seen, or heard something that you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Now let's check out some CIG news. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, trigger screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our crowdfunding update for November 8th, 2014, 61 million and two. So, yeah, good job, everybody. We made it to 61 with nowhere near enough time for the $61 million letter from the chairman. So it's like my favorite poster of a guy with a NASA white short sleeve shirt and the little narrow black tie and a button-down collar and the pocket protector. You know, I mean, in the black glasses. You see in this picture in your head, right? He's, he's, he's grabbing his hair and he's, he's, he's yanking it out. And Have you been looking says, at my old photos again? Yes, exactly. It's a picture of Jeff. And he's grabbing his hair, what little hair he has left, and he's yanking on it. And the caption underneath it says, Oh, sh- you did it exactly the way I told you. <laughs> Congratulations, everyone. We got to 61 million oh. and two just in time for the show, but not enough time to cover a brand new letter for the chairman. Fortunately, there's the old letter for the chairman from last week, um, which didn't get out to the middle of the week. So we're good this week. But guys, 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 step it up. Get it done Thursday, you know, late Thursday-ish so there's enough time to get the letter out on Friday or Saturday. Please, come on. 645,000 plus citizens and 506,000 members of the UEE fleet, another 7,000 jumping citizens and 10,000 jumping members. And you guys missed a golden opportunity last week to correct me because I had the ratio reversed. More people are buying ships than are joining up, meaning that CIG is hitting up its existing customers for new funding. So people are buying these new concept ships. Existing members of the community are buying up these concept ships. Don't worry, Tony, there will be plenty of opportunity for people to tell you how wrong you are when we get to the feedback loop. Nah, so true, so true. Yeah, it is, it is. Ah, yes, another stretch goal bites the dust as we plow through the 60 million barrier and earn ourselves another letter from the chairman and unlock that shiny new twin-engine deep space fighter. And we also learned that at 61 million, we'll be unlocking the Espera Prowler and at 62, the Genesis-class Starliner. Firstly, a little more about the Prowler. She's a modernized version of the infamous Tavaran boarding craft from the first Tavaran War, built for rapid personnel deployment and staying whisper quiet. With a ton of ways to mask its signatures, she's certainly going to be something special for you rogue types out there. Secondly, the Genesis-class Starliner comes to us from Crusader Industries, described as one of the most reliable and safe public transport ships on the market. (laughs) Well... We'll see about that. Some other large ships have been labeled unsinkable in the past. Yeah, I, not I can't always think about it. Well. 
maybe somebody should make a movie about it. I might be able to figure <laughs> out. Both of these ships come to us from new manufacturers, so look out for future Nuggets for Nuggets segments featuring both Espera and Crusader Industries. So, two new ship manufacturers. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yawn. <laughs> come on, Jeff. You really into yawn? Is that all you got to say? Yeah. You're not for a Starliner or a boarding craft? No, that's not the game I'm playing not the uh, tour you signed up for, huh? Right, right. I don't know. I, I kind of like the. I like the idea of the Prowler. And what interests me about the Prowler is that it, in fiction, it's supposed to be a you know a, a UEE modern replica of a Tavaran design from back then. And then in the article, they also said that if you're super lucky and you're a nifty collector, there are some original Tavaran prowlers mm. floating around out there. So you know you can kind of restore it. You know, so you've got like the new Coke and the classic Coke, and everybody knows the new Coke sucked. And the classic Coke was where I was at. Though, I, I wouldn't like to ask CIG to make me a silhouette poster. You remember the old World War II uh, yes. silhouette posters? That, that uh, Yes. I would really like to have one, please. What they need to do is they need to have a, a silhouette poster with like a bunch of blank squares. And then every time they make a new concept art, that you can they mail you one of the new squares that you can sticky, you can, you right. can tape it to the poster. Because mm. the poster is going to get super big. I mean, if they sent you a poster now, it would be outdated by the time they mailed it to you. Yeah, I, I get that. But I, I would still would like a silhouette poster. Another use for our in-hanger big board. Yep. Yep. Love the game. Yeah. I, I do like that they're adding more ship manufacturers, though, because um, at least this way, with the Espera and Crusader Industries, they're coming to it at a later stage in development with a lot more fresh ideas, and they're not having to pigeonhole themselves into, oh, this is an RSI, this is an Aegis, this is a Drake. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the well, pick any industry, really. If You could pick anything from like, cars is what these things tend to get compared to most often. You know, there's there's at least 10, 15, if not 20 manufacturers off the top of my head that I can mm -hmm. think of, whereas right. with the ships, we've only got like four. So uh, I'm glad to see it spread out a little bit. And even though there might be a touch of overlap, as we sort of discussed last week with certain ships, I still, I, I like the idea that it's getting more diverse. Honestly, I do too. I mean, I like the idea. I think there should be more, but I was expecting to see more after the release and other content. We need that Toyota and that Hyundai and that Kia. <laughs> well, that's a Hyundai brand, but, you know, of the, of the uh, ship world. So, Well, and, uh, and uh, you know, Lennon's point about overlap, uh, you know, Jeff, you mentioned last week or two weeks ago that the Starliner kind of might overlap the 890 jump a little bit. And my point about the Bulldog, which we'll get to in feedback, apparently, you know, I think that the overlap is fine to a degree, but I think that the way that this is going is that we're going to get a lot of concepts now. And we're not going to see these hangar ready or, or dogfight module ready until after the release of the game, which is, you know, 2017 now. So I, I think we're going to get concepts now, but the pipeline, hell, I mean, look at the pipeline for the Avenger. Let's look at the Avenger here. When did the Avenger go on sale? I mean, it was one of the first. Yeah, it was yeah, one of the 2013. It was early 2013. And it's not even, it's not, uh, it's hangar ready, but not dogfighting module ready a year and a half later. So uh, let, let's add this to the timeline for the Prowler. And, you know, you wouldn't expect to see that hangar ready for 12 months and not dogfighting module ready for, you know, six months after that, bare minimum. It's a long and lengthy process. And again, they're just, they're just trying to get people used to the cadence of it. And we'll just have to, you know, get our stopwatches out and our clipboards and, and, and measure that timeline and, and see if they stick to it. 
Chris is still hanging out in Australia, so this week, instead of 10 for the chairman, we're going to have 10 for the writers, where CAG writers Dave Haddock and William Weisbaum take 10 questions from the subscribers and give us all the answers that they are willing to give to us. This guy's a notoriously tight lip, so let's not expect too much. Much like 10 for the chairman, there's a lot of good stuff in the episode, and we highly encourage you to check it out. But we're just going to highlight a few of our favorite little pieces. Firstly, their commitment to butchering every single <laughs> Men after my own heart. Well done. Well, oh, well yes. played, gentlemen. All right. Uh, first thing we picked up on, will player-driven events like Operation Pitchfork affect the lore and eventually become part of the history of Star Citizen? And their answer is yes, of course. Player-driven events have always been talked about since day one of the game development, and the history of the UEE will be influenced by players as well as the CIG storyline writers. So I think that one has been almost intrinsic to the game design, the, the Galactopedia, the concept of a Galactopedia, mm-hmm. and the idea that, well, there's going to be NPCs running in the background and will be the overwhelming economic force in the universe. That doesn't mean that the lore writers can't pick up on trends that the PCs are doing and amplify them or, or, or spotlight them and, and call them out, so... I think that that's a good game design decision there. Next question is, will the in-game events be unfolding in real time? For example, if there's a war that spans three months in the lore, will the players be able to experience it for three months in real life? The answer to that is no, because in-game the time will be condensed. I think the last thing we heard was 12 to 1 or 6 to 1, something like that. However, if CSG wants players to have a months-long war in real life, the actual in-game war would be you know, a year, or they could span it out for longer than that to account for that time compression differential. Now, I'm wondering here, when they say that there's going to be time condensation, I don't know if condensation is quite the word no, I'm looking for. No, condensation is, is, the, is the droplets of uh, space-time that uh, condense on the outside of your Oh, uh, uh, when you need glass. your space wipers. Mm-hmm. Yes, you need to put on your space wipers to get off that uh, Eisenstein-Bose condensate. Ooh, ooh, very good. Thank very you, good, thank you, thank you, thank you. I get physics nerd points for that one. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Well, let's call it time condensation then, because that just sounds weird <laughs> now. Um, we were talking previously about the whole mini jump point thing. Yeah. Uh, is the time condensation going to play into that in such a way that, you know, we were saying it's going to take X amount of hours to travel to the edge of a solar system. But if they're doing it at a 12 to 1 ratio and you're at 0.9 the speed of light, does that actually mean that in-game time it's only going to take five minutes? Which, you know, not too bad for traveling over the course of a system. Yeah, I, I don't understand. I mean, I understand the concept of, of the time compression thing. You know, you want, you know, like civilization. Yeah. I don't know why that's on my mind at all. But, you know, each no, turn is essentially a year, you know, so it's a time compression uh, there. But that's a turn-based situation. You know, this is a skill-based game where, you know, everyone should be operating in the same relativistic frame of reference. And I get, hopefully I get another science point for that one. But, uh, you know, everyone needs to operate in that same frame of reference in order for bullets to fly in the right places and thrusters to, to turn your ship in, at the right rate. And so the time compression spanned over an entire universe, that's going to be real tricky to work out. Is it, though? Because is this not so. effectively the day-night cycle of an MMO? Kind of, but in an MMO, again, it's not skill Twitch-based, right? You know, yeah, it's, I suppose. You know, we, the MMO, I mean, let's face it, the basic unit of an MMO is the cooldown. I mean, you know, that's, that's really like the basic unit of time in any uh, multiplayer game. But in this instance, it's going to be the millisecond in Star Citizen because you measure the ping between computers and servers as in milliseconds. So that's going to be the basic unit of time. That's a real unit of time. Now you can apply some sort of factor to that, like 6 or 12, like we were saying, and time the game around that. 
I suppose, but coordinating that over not only multiple instances within a solar system or on a single planet, but then multiple systems, that's going to be odd. And then further complicating it, imposing information flow restrictions between the systems, but maybe not within a system, even though in real life it would take you know minutes or hours for a speed of light transmission to traverse the instances within a solar system. Mini jump points. I'm just saying, just stop the whole problem. Put in many jump points so that there's instantaneous travel between instances within the solar system or between systems. You solve everything. The warp-capable things you can still have in there because these instances are going to be large, you know, with the double precision maps that they're reprogramming CryEngine to do. But too many jump points, that's all I'm saying. And finally, do the devs that are building the Persistent Universe consult with you writers regarding lore routinely? I found so many interesting things in the lore, and I'm afraid that they will all be fiction rather than fact as I travel through the systems I've read about. And, of course, writers say yes. Around 95% or more of the lore that the team publishes gets looked at by the designers before publication so that the lore doesn't deviate too much from what will be possible in the Persistent Universe. They noted that a couple times they have been sort of written into a corner so far, but trying not to break the lore that's already been published. But it's still pre-alpha. Go ahead and write yourself out of the corner. I know some people are going to be upset if their favorite feature gets retconned, but, you know, it's, it's alpha. Things are going to get broken. Yeah, and I think it's important to bear that in mind that that does apply to all aspects of the game, not just the engine and the blowy up of the spaceships, but also of the lore and the history and the background, like we can see here. And I actually really quite liked 10 for the writers, because I think a lot of what we get tends to be so focused on, obviously, the action and the gameplay side of it. I think it's good every now and then to just get a little bit coming out like this, and I'd really like to see more of these in the future. Maybe not weekly, but certainly monthly at least. Now, don't put any ideas in their head, Lennon, because what's going to happen is you'll get 10 for the chairman, and then next week 10 for the writers, and then next week 10 for the physics programmer, and then the next (laughs) week 10 for the customer service uh, representatives, and the next week uh, 10 for the art team. Um, You know that's going to happen. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I can see, though, that there would be a good reason to have a split between the people who are writing Star Citizen and the people who are making Star Citizen. You know, Chris can take the making and they can take the writing. I think that'll be fine. Well, I I mean, I kind of like the idea because I suppose the writers are unconstrained and the programmers and developers are going to be like, "Mm, we can't make make that work for a game. We can't make that work for a computer program. So it's, it's a nice balance, you know, the stretching of the imagination versus the we can't do that. (laughs) Yeah, and in most cases, it will probably be the writers that come up with the concepts of what we're going to be able to do before the game programmers do. Because (gasps) Blasphemy! I know, but the writers will say things like, yeah, well, we were going to go with time condensation, but we've actually decided that a (laughs) hyper-warp drive would be better. And Uh, then it all feeds down. Let's hope so. Well, the rumor mill have been circulating for a while now, but at uh, last we have confirmation. Eric Wingman Peterson is the latest name to join a growing list of those who have, for one reason or another, left CIG. In a post on the RSI forums, Wingman tells us that, quote, When Chris, myself, and a few others sat down to discuss Star Citizen, there was a plan, having the bulk of the team in Austin and a strike team in L.A. However, it became quite the burden on Chris to travel back and forth to Austin every month, especially when we grew our plans and added studios and people. Frankly, it became an impossible task for Chris to manage his time and all the studios efficiently. So it was decided that for the good of the project, we would need to consolidate senior leads around Chris in the LA office. Which brings us to here. The situation is pretty obvious. My position would need to be in the LA office. So it's a sad thing to see, but uh, Wingman made the decision for his family that he was going to need to stay in Austin. 
Wingman lets us know that he'll still be involved as a backer and a golden ticket holder, but also one other exciting thing saying, if you want to see what I'm up to next, please come join my new forums at pzocker.com, a temporary name for sure. I will be live streaming this Thursday at 10 a.m. Central to talk about what we'll do next. So, what on earth is a Zocker? Well, it turns out that Wingman is setting up another game studio, entirely crowdfunded with the backers, deciding everything from the company name to the content of the game. Wingman hosted a live stream on Thursday where a lot more information was shared. We now know that the company is made up entirely of XCIG employees so far, including Mike Moreland, Jason Spangler, Elijah McNeil, and Chris Olivia. The game they are making sounds so far like a prequel to Star Citizen. 300 years from now, resource agents scour the solar system for anything that'll make money, featuring gameplay similar to Descent, with four to five ships available at launch and featuring single-player and multiplayer modes, as well as the ability to create your own corporation. The game is described as being more arcade-like and less hardcore flight model. We also know that the game will be crowdfunded and community-made, and they're looking for people to help make the game and become community managers. They're not looking for any money just yet. They're also looking for a name for the company, which is also being crowdsourced, and Wingman has said that they will also be producing a show for the game, most likely called Wingman's Basement. Most interestingly of all, though, is that they say they're looking to ship the first version of the game within one year. The company was only formed less than a week ago, and already they have a ship flying around on screen. I think there's something going on at CIG. Go home. See, I told Lennon when we, when we made this little bit, I said, we're going to let Jeff talk about software development inside big companies and personnel moves. Go. <laughs> you know, it's really interesting to see as, as uh, CIG grew and grew and grew that those that started with the company are looking at different directions for the company. And, you know, there's something going on there that a lot of these, as you mentioned, some of these names at first, Mark Moreland and Jason Spangler, I mean, come on. And, they, and they're starting a company with Mr. Wingman himself. You don't see something in the background there? Oh, I'm not going to say. I, we we, we <laughs> okay. want to know what you had to say. There certainly is a certain air of that around this. It is, it was, it's funny that the guys that helped put the band back together are now starting their own new band. It's interesting from just a human interest perspective. Forget software development, forget games, forget crowdfunding. That's interesting from just a human interest perspective. I think for the this, for the game that you know we're building and that you know the company occasionally listens to us, and they build it for real. I think that it's not so much they don't need personalities anymore. And I think that's maybe the problem. They don't need a personality like Peterson to build the game anymore because they really do have. A, army of developers around the world punching out widgets and they've got managerial processes in place now they've got alex mayberry in there who's who comes from you know big corporate game development and game publishing and they've got tony zurovic in there who's a longtime handle on, on game production they don't need a guy that can rally troops they just need somebody that can punch the clock and, and make the schedule go peterson i think gives you some extra charisma and some extra sort of, you know, cheerleading capabilities that just were kind of wasted by the time CIG got to where it was. The $2 million or $4 million level, Peterson's your guy because you got to continually rally the troops. And, you know, it's a small team, it's a squad, and you got to put out fires and that kind of thing. For a $60 million company, Peterson's kind of wasted. He's kind of wasted in that situation. Well, it, it just it's interesting that I almost expected this to start happening with Chris. I thought that the company was getting a little bit bigger than what he's used to. And he's losing his not only his talent, but his friends as well. 
And I just you know, it just worries me about uh, about the direction of the game. All right, okay, all right. Let me paint the nightmare scenario. I, I've just said what I kind of really think. I mean, my my professional uh, professional evaluation, my professional amateur podcaster evaluation. I've just given you that. But let me let me paint the nightmare scenario just for for contrast. One of my one of my favorite bands. When I was a, was a teenager guy. Was Van Halen, right? And then when I was a little kid, the lead singer was David Lee Roth, and then there was Sammy Hagar, and then Hagar quit, and David Lee Roth came back, and now they're kind of a train wreck they've been a train wreck for a while but i mean the point is is that the lead singer of the band of the company they're the front man right literally they're out in the front and everyone's got their eyes on them sometimes there's this thing called lead singer disease where you think you are the band and you can replace the guitarist and the bass player and the drummer and all of a sudden you know, you've got the same band so the problem with replacing all the people that play the instruments and just keeping the singer is that the only person that's been fooled is the singer the singer is only paying attention to himself anyway, and as long as the drum kicks in on time and the guitar solo starts on time, he doesn't care. But the audience notices. Without people that can tell the singer, you're off key, or you're coming in too late, or your voice sounds like crap, you lose something on the whole production. If you don't have people around you that can tell you no, or you need to fix this, or you're going too far on something. I'm hoping that there's not some lead singer disease going on here right now that Chris still is still surrounded by people that will tell him no and that will tell him, yeah, you're stretching this one or this is a bad idea. I'm hoping that the people that he's hired do that for him and that Chris takes it to heart. That's my nightmare scenario. That, that isn't happening. As always, Tony, you hit it spot on. Wait a minute. Mm. You're supposed to tell me no. You're supposed to tell me that sucked. You're supposed to tell <laughs> No, that's, the that's coming disease. up soon. Oh, yes, good. That's okay, coming up soon. Right. The audience yeah. tells me when I suck. Okay, good. All right, good. All right. <laughs> We're behind you, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Some of us. What I'm thinking, though, is that, you know, I, in the spirit of Wenger Manga, I'm going to go off and start my own podcast. Can I be on that podcast? Uh, possibly. Jeff's the only one with perfect attendance. He's the only one that's not leaving. That's true. Yeah. He's the Chris Roberts of the group. He's the Chris so, Roberts good, of this group. Yeah. Good luck, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. One thing that I'm surprised at, though, is how quickly they think they can get the game out. And obviously, they're not going for anything the size of Star Citizen. No. But I would have thought the one thing that they should have picked up is, one, you do not give a release date. <laughs> um, like, because they're saying within There's a year. There's one lesson. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. And so six months' time, hopefully, you know, I wish them the best Wait. of luck. But uh, I, I just would have thought they would have been a little bit more cautious on that. But, wait, you know, wait, 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 wait. What if the game's already done? Well, that's the thing. Maybe it's Arena Commander. Who knows? <laughs> uh, the other thing as well is I, I still don't quite know how to say this without possibly angering some future guests that might be appearing on the guard, not in the too distant future. But I'm kind of worried that a lot of people that had a lot of personality have now left CIG in one way or another. It's cool that, like you said... You don't need Wingman at 60 million. You need him at 2 million, and I can completely see where you're coming from. But when you want to do things like the next great starship, do you not need people with those types of personalities? And yet, you know, they've still got Mark Scout and they've still got Ben Lesnick and quite a few others. But I just, I just worry that a lot of the, the life of CIG, the thing that made it a fun company, certainly from an exterior point of view, has moved on oh, to do another yeah. thing. You're right. I, I, I unequivocally agree with you. A lot of the things that probably made CIG really fun to work for at the beginning have disappeared because it's now a multinational, multi-million dollar company with a large budget, hard deadlines, crunch time. Well, hard deadlines maybe internally, but they keep being pushed back externally. 
you know, it's 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 a big company now. It's not the scrappy little crowdfunder that it used to be. It's it's a serious bureaucracy. Now. Here's an idea. They could hire us, the three of us, to provide them with personality. I don't know. Do we have enough personality to go around, Jeff? I don't know. I mean, I think, of, I think we can do I think we could do it. People have week. heard this show. I know, and it's a very popular show. Oh, um, I was, I'm sorry. I was dreaming. I was, <laughs> <laughs> that was in my dreams. I'm sorry. I, I don't know. I got to get, get off those my dream harps from Squawk Box again. Play them here for I've Jeff. got them. I was going to say, I've got a box over here named Dan Geesling Jokes that hasn't been opened for a while. So, I mean, we've still got potential here. Uh, we got so, I'm just going to sort of throw this one out there. Do you guys think that they're going to close the Austin office? No, I don't think so. I think there's too much assets there that need to be there. I mean, it, you can't just ask a whole office to up and move. You know, some yes, of them yeah. are flexible, but a lot of them got lives, and there's a lot of creative talent there. So I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think it's going to happen yet, but I think that it's another sort of wake-up call in the 21st century that, you know, everyone is replaceable at some level or another. And I don't think the Austin office is going to close in the immediate future. And I think this was intentional from the beginning. There's a wide number of pipes. There's This was a, a massive exercise in parallel development. And at some point, some of those parallel developments are going to be shut down because their work will be done. Yeah, that um, I agree with. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and like, like Ilphonic, right? I mean, they're an outsourced company. They're a separate studio. They're developing the, the first-person shooter stuff. They may or may not have their team downsized or just shut off if they decide to move the first-person shooter level development. Once the once the system's in place, you know, the development of new levels and maps could be handled internally or by another studio. I think that with the departure of so many of the Austin uh, heavies, you know, the ones that were sort of in key positions in Austin. It's at least possible that Austin just got sort of downgraded to one of those outsourced companies. They're more on par with an Ilphonic or a Behavior now than they were a key component of the, of the CIG infrastructure. Manchester may be looking that way too, maybe. Now, Manchester's a different thing because, number one, it's his brother running that office. And number two, they've got a, a much wider pipeline there and a lot, of more, a lot more responsibility for actually building stuff has been moved to Manchester. Well, so. they, they also could get spun into a, a wholly subsidiary company that's not only making the assets for Star Citizen, but with their experience in the CryEngine and stuff, they could be doing assets for other games as well. So it's a sure, good that's possible too. That's possible, too. They might spin the studio off. But I, I think it maybe got redefined. Yeah, I think redefined. I think I think they've been redefined as something more akin to the behavior Elphonic type studios rather than an internal component of, of the CIG infrastructure. Well, that brings us to this week's community question. We want you to give us your thoughts on the Wingman Exodus. Is it doom? Or is it just the next exciting chapter in the life and times of crowdfunded games? Let us know by commenting on this week's show post at guardfrequency.com or on our show's weekly forum thread on the Rob Space Industries fan sites forums. So, in light of everybody moving away, it's kind of got me nostalgic for the good old days you know back when days. our preludes weren't this intertwining mess of cross characters and yeah we yeah, could keep things clean. straight and yeah yeah, yeah and goat oh, frequency yeah. so let's just go back to a simpler time where i could ask questions like uh, where the f is the avenger mission pack uh, hey i remember that i remember Yay. that the good old days yeah, yeah so 
We might as well answer that question now that you've asked it, Lennon. I have two answers for you. I've been playing Civilization Beyond Earth and staying up far too late, again, as you might expect, playing that. And uh, my son convinced me to retry the Neverwinter MMO. And oh, I have to say, favorites. I have to say that all the, the things I hated about it when I tested it in beta, um, they seem to have made those things disappear, except for how ridiculous the control wizard looks. Still looks stupid. Um, but the rest of the problems I had with it, they knocked the rough edges off. So I'm, I'm kind of enjoying that again. And uh, let's see. I've been doing Elite Dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, and I won't say this as a. It's not a competitive space sim for Star Citizen. They're totally two different games. Even though they're space and sims, their processes in play are are totally different. And that game is going to be released on December sixteenth. And uh, it's a. It's fun to play. It works with all my stuff that I've got for Star Citizen. And I get to fly around in a wide galaxy and go from planet to planet and hub to hub and do all kinds of stuff. What I can't do is get out of my ship. I can't walk around. I can't land on planets and so on and so forth. Like I said, it's not Star Citizen, but I don't think it's supposed to compete with Star Citizen. So, Hey, Jeff. Yeah. You know what my birthday is? Uh, December 16th? December the 9th, a week uh, before that. Ah. Uh, Precisely a week before that. You know what I want for my birthday? I haven't a clue, Tony. Why don't you tell us all what you want for your birthday? An ice cream cake. <laughs> Lennon, what have you been doing? Oh, ice cream cake sounds so good. I um, I've been rather addicted to a game called Europa Universalis 4. You might recall that I was playing this the last time we had a Where the f*** is the Avenger Mission Pack segment. And I'm pleased to say that my addiction is no less cured. In fact, it's been made <laughs> worse by the fact that I've been joined by our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster. Oh, you got an enabler. Uh, That's not good. Yeah, job. it's not good. But now it's time for news we didn't use. work in progress gallery of the gladius it's like candy but for your eyes october's monthly report is now out get your monthly dose of monthly goodness around the verse episode 19 featuring a lack of sandy and la localization francaise de arena commandement abyssy archive catch and release not the last time someone says this is bullshit crikey mate the chairman's been spotted on abc down under put another shrimp on the barbie law builder 21 this time all about artificial gravity. And you too can get a taste for speed this week as you can test drive the M50. Now that we're all caught up with the latest CIG news, it's time to learn all about MISC in Nuggets for Nuggets. Greetings, sits and sieves, and welcome to Nuggets for Nuggets, where we like to delve deep inside the universe of Star Citizen and give you all the details from the inside out. A fair warning up front, though, this game is still in active development, so everything that we say is pretty much subject to change. MISC was formed with a merger of the failing Hato Electronics Corporation and the Musashi Lifestyle Design Unit spin-off of Acorn Limited. This created a dynamic duo of Hato's large-scale network of production facilities and Musashi's reputation for genius design. MISC is based on Saisei in the Centauri system, which holds their corporate offices and an open-to-the-public central dealership facility. 
Their factories use robotic precisions and fully modular, identical production lines across dozens of worlds. You want things to be made properly if they are containing the nice, breathable atmosphere that prevents you from sucking void. MISC produces four standard hull sizes from A to D. These hulls uphold the heavy industry business of hauling goods across the galaxy. The MISC high bulk transports and configurable to the varied needs of corporate shipping and is the majority of what humanity uses. However, unexpectedly, the Xi'an are also large fans of the MISC ships, and this has created some kind of unique business deals. MISC is the only human spacecraft corp to sign a lend-lease agreement with the Xi'an. The details of this agreement were created behind closed doors and remain a trade secret, but many speculate that Xi'an technology is a part of the freelancer development. Further rumours suggest that the not-yet-released future models will include Xi'an thruster technology. MISC funneled profit from their corporate sales to create personal-use freelancers and starfarers. These ships compete in the crowded ship space against RSI and Drake with a two-pronged pitchfork business plan of generalized spacecraft, the freelancer and the role-specific starfarer. Each of these have found great success in the marketplace. So it's the Apple of the verse, right? Mm, I don't know. Are Apple in cahoots with aliens to give us advanced technology? I don't know. I would think they were the oranges of the verse. Ooh, I see what you did there. Need a rim shot there, Lennon. Go ahead. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Yes. Apple, everything that they do is sort of made in China. You know, it's got that whole, you know, they've, they've oh. signed on to, you oh. know, you know they've got that, that, that foreign technology element that sort of underpins everything that they do. And it's all secret and stuff. Made in Xi'an. Yeah, so uh, you know, I, I like there's some there's some corollaries there, you know. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I can take that because I don't really like Apple, but I love the freelancer. I didn't say it was exactly the same thing. I said the industry cue is like that, but uh, I also like that uh, the MISC has you know the hauler of the universe. You know, like uh, Mitsubishi Heavy Industries, they're all into shipping and stuff like that. You know, the big super yeah. things. So I mean, I, I kind of I kind of dig that there's a Japanese element uh, to that. To go back to your comment, I can pick up an Apple product and I can admire the craftsmanship and the technology behind it. Doesn't mean I would use one, but I sure certainly can admire. Or be it. caught dead in the store fondling. <laughs> but and this is precisely my problem: is I would use the freelancer. I would, I would, I would fondle it in the store. I would quite <laughs> happily be seen in it. And this is why I'm glad that they use inspiration and not direct ripoffs. So. Very yeah. Good. Very good. Are you new to the verse and need a bit of advice? Is there a tidbit of lore some sit or sib taught you that we all should know? Let us know by dropping us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. But for now, let's tune into the feedback loop and let you join in on the conversation. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendlies! So let's just be friendly! From our show post at GuardFrequency.com, Green Dragoon says Tony is wrong, wrong, wrongity wrong, with the difference between the Super Hornet and the Bulldog as listed in the description. Specifically designed to operate from planetary bases and engage targets up to a star system's distance, the fighter trades some maneuverability for extended supply of fuel and munitions, as well as basic survival accommodations for the pilot and radar operator. The ship is designed to go a lot further on a tank of gas as well as carry more missiles because you won't have an opportunity to reload. There's also mention of survival of accommodations. That's open to interpretation. I take it to mean that at least has a couple of beds. 
The more I think about it, the more I realize there isn't any ship that quite matches it. Also, the Cutlass is already a search and rescue ship. I'm sorry, the Cutlass is not a search and rescue ship. Right, exactly. And I'm not going to say the Green Dragoo is wrong. We're here to open a debate, which is civil, which is erudite, which is educational, which uh, elucidates important points. So, Green Dragoon, you suck. I hate you. No. Um, uh, no, here's the thing. Here's the thing. He kind of made my point for me is that he had to dig into the lore to make the difference. Like, I take it to mean that there's a couple of beds, right. so we don't know that. There's there's no nothing in the description that says there is. And it's talking about designs to go further on a tank of gas. Well, it's going to just have bigger gas tanks because it has two engines to start with. And number two, it's supposed to go farther. So it's just, you know, you have to really dig into the details of it and into the squishy bits and into the, the aesthetics like... It's going to trade maneuverability for fuel and munitions. Well, I mean, but it's still going to be maneuverable and have fuel and munitions. My point on the whole overlap thing was if you have to start really digging into it where each thing doesn't have a specific flavor right away that you can catch from the first line or from the first look, that's when the overlap starts. We talked a little bit about it with the letter from the chairman on the uh, Starliner and the 890. I don't know. It's it's almost like I could buy a Honda Accord or a Chevy Impala, you know? Maybe that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to set up that there's two different brands for the same thing. So you can get an Aegis Bulldog or you can get an Aegis Super Hornet. Oh, wait. I just argued myself out of my point. Sean Newboy says, wonderful episode, everyone. I really want to hear more voice work by the Munchkin trying to do the On Your Feet Nuggets speech. Yes, yes. That was one of Chivalry Bean's uh, little urchins there. So uh, we'll... I'm sure we'll find other things for other talented individuals to do. It's it's what we do here at Card Frequency. Ostrom writes in and says, Excellent show. I really like the latest Arena Commander patch. Definitely feels more natural than previous versions. The new ITTS system is good, but I think the reticles need to be a little easier to see. I'm constantly losing them in the background, particularly on the very blue Broken Moon map. Yeah, I have to agree. Those reticles do start to stray away from you, and particularly, you know, being a little bit colorblind, it doesn't really help. It's just the first iteration of this of system, course. though. I'm, I'm sure it will get better, and uh, I think that that's good feedback, Lennon. I, I, the color variation does need to pop a little better. They're walking the line between trying to make that feel like a like a real-life HUD, but it's also still a game. And I think that there's some room to maneuver on making it more game-like and a little less sort of, you know, hyper-realistic. I, I, I think I well hope so, because I, I can't go into the Air Force <laughs> and banned from a career in exactly. flight. So, <laughs> so as, yeah, as I was saying, make it, there's room there. From the RSI forum post, Mercenary Thorn, I voted for the Bulldog. I'm very happy with what we got. First, it says it is made to engage targets up to a star system's distance. Makes me wonder how limited a non-long-range fighters will be without carrier support. To do this, it says it has extra fuel and munitions. Always nice to have if you have a long time between resupply. Last, it is known as extraordinarily sturdy. Important for long-range missions where the nearest spaceport to get repairs is a long way away. It fills a role that ships like the Super Hornet can't. Of course, it will be larger, slower, and less maneuverable to make up for all the extra bonuses, but can't have everything. Love the show, Thorn. I mean, again, and this sort of says the same, the same thing, thing the Green Dragoon said. Right. It's These are squishy. You know, it's 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 uh, its purpose is to engage targets at a long distance. Okay, that's that's good, but you know, uh, and it, he makes a good a good point there. What kind of limitations are the ships that aren't designed for these long range strikes going to have at, at those distances? We'll find out. Part of the problem is again addressing this next thing. 
We don't know what the fuel system, you know, extra fuel munitions, we don't know what the fuel penalty is going to be on these long trips. Again, mini jump points fix everything. So that's a piece of the gameplay that we don't have access to yet, and we can't really make a judgment call on that. And besides, the Hornet has a jump drive, if I remember right. So it's it like, does, yeah. The Hornet has a jump drive. What's its disadvantage again? <laughs> I don't know. Again, <laughs> you know, and again, extraordinarily sturdy. Oh, because Aegis builds the Bulldog and the Hornet, they're going to like slapdash the Hornet and make it fall apart when you sneeze in it, and they're going to make the Bulldog extra strong. Again, it's just a thing. I'm just noticing this. It's not like it's game-breaking or anything. From Squawk, a guard frequency.com we hear from zerlo hi guys great episode i have to admit that i missed that particular poll but as i see it star citizen doesn't have a dedicated heavy fighter before the bulldog and the night fighter analogy is very appealing i wholeheartedly agree with lennon it was voted on by the community as a deep space fighter twin engine if i understand the currently designed mechanics correctly having a jump drive doesn't help you when you want to travel large distances inside a system so in my humble opinion it's definitely not just fictional separation many jump drives fix everything more to the point i don't share tony's opinion on overlap. As long as the differences are not purely cosmetic, I do want CIG to offer me options for any given role. I look at roles as a set of gameplay aspects a ship is designed to be good at. It's up to me to find out how I want to play the game, what ship is the best match for that playstyle, and how I can maximize its performance. I also imagine we will discover that flying a highly specialized ship in the Persistent Universe can have quite a lot of drawbacks in certain situations. P.S. I also really like the Herald and despise trackballs, so basically this is just an anti-Tony hate mail. I knew it! So you got much, it, fan. So oh, much I love fury. It. So much antipathy directed at I feel oh, I should per- say, <laughs> normally, Zerlo is writing into me to complain that my analogies between old world cultures and the RSI counterparts <laughs> are probably not correct. So uh, I'm fine with giving in to you this week. I, I, I understand. There's excellent point, Zerlo, just like Green Dragoon and the legion of other people, Thorn and everybody else that came in to tell me I was wrong. I get it. It's a new ship. The community voted on it. It does have some differences that may play out to be real distinctive advantages and disadvantages in the verse. What I'm saying is that you got to parse it carefully to find it. CIG needs to stop that. Make some more separation between the concept ships. Unless, of course, their design goal is to, like I said, have a Ford and a Chevy. Again, unless it's the design goal. I mean, then that's fine if it is, but it's just that needs to be articulated somehow. You know, put it in the fictional thing. Designed to compete with the Super Hornet, blah, 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 blah. That's cool, but you really got to dig into it. Oh, and by the way, get a trackball. I'm telling you, it's so much nicer. You just don't even know. And up next, Ben Thompson brings up another subject for Tony to be wrong about. (laughs) He says, Yay, it's pick on Tony week. (laughs) It is. (laughs) (laughs) Ben Thompson writes up and says, Would you all be willing to look at my third starting ship proposal that I put up on Reddit? It's nothing more than a TLDR text description followed by an absurdly large amount of lore info. To my great surprise, however, I'm receiving some very positive feedback, and I'd love to hear what you think. See, now, Tony, this is a guy who can go on Reddit and solicit positive feedback. We should Mm. probably look at this. Take it into I, I consideration. This, yeah. Can I click on this link? Y- yes, Jeff. These are links you can indeed <laughs> this, this click is, on. Yes, this is okay. Yes. So I did take a look at this, you know, not only for an example of a positive Reddit thread, which, you know, few and far between, right? But uh, I, it, something struck me as I kind of, I, I didn't read the whole thing in detail, but I did sort of skim through it, and I read the first part very carefully. What struck me as interesting is that we've almost got the MMO Troika going on now, right? Uh, in an economy, you've got, like, the producers, the manufacturers, and the service sector, right? So that's like a triad. 
And so in the Star Citizen now, we have the manufacturer, which is the Aurora, right? The cargo hauler, the thing that gets things from point A to point B and then helps with the widget productions. We have the Mustang, which is a it's a service provider of sorts. It blows things up or escorts them, I guess, as, as things might happen. What we don't have is a producer, and he has proposed essentially like a very basic mining ship. So this would sort of complete an MMO-like troika of starter ships. So... I'm going to sort of reverse my position a little bit and say if CIG made the third starter ship like this, somewhere in the, the vein of this, uh, of this concept, I'll go with it. I'd support a third starter ship like that. Yeah, I think it's a really good idea. I think a mining vessel should appear somewhere in the early lineup if it's not a starting ship. And from our Guard Frequency Facebook page, Jace Pintad says, I don't know if I buy a bulldog, but I think it sounds awesome. I'm kind of fixated on ships having jump drives. Like LTI, it's not supposed to be a huge deal, but I still want both usually. From Twitter, we hear from Ken from Chicago. I heard Tony say last episode that he was won over by the stapler engine starship. My condolences. Hashtag, he will be missed. Ah, I think that was me, no. actually. That was Lennon, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was, was Lennon. Lennon. Over. No, it's as simple as replacing the engines, isn't it? Really? Yes, it, yeah, exactly. Yeah, th- That's it, that's it. The first, first problem is tweets in and says, Zomagoth, God freak you, some of my tweets. You guys are epic. Lee, awesome balls. Hashtag need more mojitos. Everybody needs more mojitos, mm-hmm. especially first verse problems, because he was up punning with chivalry being. What was that? Your emergency response? Oh, was thing he? You and Shiv, you guys cooked up. Yes. So. <laughs> Love at the end of Godfreak's latest podcast. Hashtag LMAO. We're down to this week's community question reminder. Give us your thoughts on the Wingman Exodus. Is it doom? Or just the next exciting chapter in the life and times of crowdfunded games. Let us know by commenting on this week's show post at guardfrequency.com or on our show's weekly forum thread at Robert Space Industries fan site subforum. We're getting uh, some some vibes from Ben and James over at CIG that they're going to be on the show next week. We tried to get them on this week and it just kind of fell through. But we want you guys to let us know what you want to know about the game, Santa Monica, burgeritos, whatever. Uh, leave us some feedback and some questions for them on our a variety of channels that we're about to let you know about, and uh, we'll see if we can get those on the show for you. Hopefully we'll have them live, so be sure to tune in to our live show around 8 next week. Other than that, tell us, how was the show? Were our wits quick like an M50 or as agile as an asteroid? Either way, let us know. There are some ways to keep in touch with us. Check out our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. Leave a comment on this episode's show notes at guardfrequency.com, or you can subscribe to feeds.guardfrequency.com, or just find us on iTunes. You can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, and start an argument on our Reddit at guardfreak.reddit.com. Leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash guardfreak. And if you're lucky, I just might get to butcher your name live on the air. And if you're old school like us, then just shoot us an email to schoolgagguardfrequency.com. Your feedback is an important part of what we do, so take a minute. Tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 46 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 47 on November 18th, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at guardfrequency.com or the official Robert Space Industries fan site subform. Please send us your feedback about the show. Aside from all the ways we just ran down in the feedback loop, you can also use the contact form on our website, and all the details for all of the ways you can get in touch with us can be found in the show notes. Do you like what we do? Want to come help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? If so, just send a note to squawk at guardfrequency.com. And if you can't get enough spaceship podcasting, why not check out our sister production, Priority One? They cover Star Trek Online and the greater Star Trek universe. Just go to priorityonepodcast.com. 
Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? Well, check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash guardfreak. And if you're not doing anything Saturday nights, then you should really come and join us live over at guardfrequency.com forward slash live. We start recording around 8 p.m. Central. That's Sundays, 2 a.m. GMT. We'd like to thank the entire team at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artist, Simon Charlton Edwards, and our assistant audio engineer, Michael Duncan. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass. And special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music on our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Time to 330, carry 15. Squawk 7700. Stay on the ground. You like what we do? You want to come help us make the desk the desk bam space? <laughs> desk bam, hey, desk bam. Hey, put your teeth in. <laughs> no, no, and say you know they've got the 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 they've you know Apple. He then goes on to say, loving the end of God Freak's latest podcast 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 podcast. Oh man, if only we had podcast. Loving the end of God Freak's latest podcast. <sighs> Podcast. Stop talking like Sean Connery. Podcast hashtag. See, if it's not Shiv that's doing this, I want to know who it is. Yeah. There we go. Try that. I'm going to go for Operation Mankini. I really wish you wouldn't. If you do, don't drag me out there with you. Yeah, please don't. Well, really? you know what they say, when you're out in the deep black, uh, it's pretty lonely. Yes, well, I, my incredible <laughs> hacker skills will delete any project files on your on your. <laughs> uh, am I going to get net neutralized again, Jeff? You're going to yeah. get net neutralized. Yeah. Anything, well, just don't call it mankini. Call it, uh, you know, banana hammock. I'm sure that'll fix it just right. <laughs> Operation Budgie Smugglers. <laughs> ew! Ew! <laughs> uh, this part's going to be cut, so don't... Worry, I just wanted to let you guys know. I was toying around with the, they've just released an expansion pack, and um, there's an option where you can uh, randomize the new world because at the beginning of the game, America's unknown, and then you discover it and all this sort of stuff. And I managed to find that through a brilliant combination of several of the smaller tribes, there was a tribe called Wanker. And so I took the Wanker tribe, and I'm in the process of building the first Wanker empire. <laughs> This so it doesn't look like my addiction's yes, going anywhere should, anytime soon. This should not be cut. Yes. Okay, I'll <laughs> cut the part where I said this is going to be cut, but I'll the rest of it. Oh, that's good. Oh, oh, that's so classic. Oh, that's just great. That's what I've been up to. That <laughs> <laughs> you probably didn't really want to ask. Yes, we did. We 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 want to know all your wanker attributes there. Around the ep- around the episode verse nineteen. <laughs> Whoops! <laughs> Let's try that one again. Okay. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. <laughs>